0: Have you ever been so unhappy that you've used food and sleep to escape? That was me a few years ago. I was so unhappy with my job and my life as a whole that I used to pretty much set an alarm for just before 5pm every single day, just before my lovely wife Zainab would come home. And I would literally rush out of bed, do the dishes and pretend like i have been up for the entire day. The most visible aspect of this was my weight. Weighing in at over 80 kilos and on the brink of being obese, it's fair to say I wasn't exactly in the best shape of my life. So I took action and I addressed what I thought was the easiest thing to do, and that was the weight. So I began going to a gym, and I now have a job that I absolutely love. However, in the process of losing all that weight, my mindset changed. A combination of my desire to ensure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through and my own love for cars, I present to you the Behind the Wheel podcast, a place to occasionally hear from people who work with and or own some pretty cool cars, to hear how they've got to where they are in the pursuit of inspiring you to take the steps you need to build a life based on your passion. Hello and... I- Welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination um, of my huge passion for cars, as well as my goal to inspire you to take the steps you need to take to build a life around your passions and interests. I am so thrilled to be joined by Steve Deeks. Steve is a presenter, trainer, race, aviator, having spent nine years professional racing up to British Formula 3, followed by sports cars and US IMS, British GT, Then one makes saloons, which then led to a 17-year career within the British Touring Car Championship. Personally, what makes Steve even more interesting for me is the fact that he's managed to master the art of pivoting. That is, the ability to to develop new skills and competencies and adapt when required to realise his dreams and in with his own evolving passions and interests. Having spent a considerable amount of time racing, Steve is now a full-time presenter and trainer, presenting live shows and events worldwide consulting to major car and motorcycle manufacturers, training product and sales teams, and launching new products. He's retained by the European agencies of Nissan and Lexus as part of their core training team, having enjoyed multi-year assignments with some of the biggest names in, in the car manufacturing space, including Ford, Audi, Mercedes, Mazda, Jaguar, and Land Rover. Steve is also a qualified ARDS Super License Instructor, having worked with some of the biggest names that we all might know, including Brian Johnson, Lord March, Jeremy Clarkson, Nigel Ben, Les Ferdinand, Mike Brewer, Greg James, Gary Newman and even some royalty, some royalty including Prince William and Prince Harry. All this has come about through Steve's mindset, evidenced by a constant desire to learn and strive to become better and help others fulfil their own true potential. It's fair to say that when I began this podcast, I never thought I'd one day have someone like Steve on as a guest. He's literally the perfect person for this show. So sit back, grab a good cup of tea. I'm hearing from someone who probably loves cars more than me and has successfully built a career from scratch around that. Because if there's one thing I can absolutely guarantee, listening to this podcast and this show with Steve will add value to your life considerably. Steve Deeks, welcome to the podcast.
1: Mo, thank you very much. And I I have to say, you you gave me 17 years of touring cars, but actually it was 17 years in total, first time round. And I ended up doing junior touring cars, and then I stopped, and I went off to learn to be a pilot, um, and and I came back to racing again. Because, well, I never really left because I was always working in the arena. You you can't get away from it. You know, racing is not um, any kind of a career. Let's you know, be sure about that. Otherwise, I'd have some cash in the bank. But it's a, it's such a passion, and, and for me, an addiction, I would say. So, I was always involved in the sport, even when I was working away presenting shows, events, and doing my automotive stuff. Um, and eventually it reached out and grabbed me because all of a sudden historic racing became really big business. You know, I hosted, um, I think probably three or four, uh, Goodwood revivals. I did six or seven festival of speeds, which I fronted for Mercedes AMG. Um, but, but it was the, uh, I've probably done five silverstone classics where I presented the VIP um, lounge and I was just, mm-hmm all around me this is explosion of classic and historic racing it's become fantastically popular almost like after grand prix racing it's now the next biggest thing um and i adore all those old cars you know they're so organic i mean who couldn't who wouldn't love that stuff and um Absolutely. about 5 years ago a guy said to me stupidest thing in the world because i was by that stage retired from racing like i finished racing in uh, 2002 did my last i think or one or something like that and officially retired into 98 and this guy i was running a track day at the silverstone he said to me um why don't you have a run in one of my porsches like my classic racing porsches and i said well why would i do that you know i'm here running the event i'm, I'm working I'm paid to work and um i said no no go and have a go have a spin i'm like no and he said um he said uh, it used to be really good when you were young and i like it's like trying to butter me up or something and i said um that was about 100 years ago and i was much thinner then and faster and i'm old now uh, and i shouldn't do this you know it's like a, it's a ditch and once you manage to kick it the last thing you should be doing is get yeah. back in um and i refused on the day but it it kind of lingered with me and he said um he said if you buy the bits then he said i'll build an old portion to a race car he said, and I'll run you and we'll go. And I was like, mm, you know, don't do it. Stay away. You know, you, you've done this all once. Yeah. You should retire and carry on working and you're living on that kind of stuff. Um, and then he, he said, uh, the values of these cars are going up so much. He said, you need to do it. It'll be like, you know, investment for you and all this kind of nonsense. And I succumbed. <laughs> that was it. Back in, <laughs> you know, So after all those years of managing, I mean, I was off doing all kinds of other stuff, but after those years of managing to retire. I then dusted my crash helmet off and back into action again. And,
0: and, and it all started again. Bizarre. Well, I should have known better
1: by well, my well,
0: age. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to go back to, to, to the start, I feel like in terms of your sort of early, um, early, early growing up. And um, you know, there's, there, there's a common kind of debate in terms of, you know, is, is passion, are you born with the passion or is it, is, is it built over time for you? um how do you know that cars or racing was the thing for you was it something that was built or was it more something you know you just knew from day one this was the thing you wanted to do
1: well you know it's it's one of those things isn't it like i was absolutely i mean i was absolutely inspired by when i was a a boy so a long time ago there wasn't really much formula one on tv Um, but i do clearly remember as a schoolboy seeing james hunt for example and Mm there's you know so a great looking, charismatic guy, you know, true, true Brit style. All the women loved him, I guess. And um he was just he was just inspirational to me, I think. He 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 was so I don't know, his his attitude and approach to it, he was so full on and gung-ho. Um and and as a as a young sort of um, malleable mind, at the time I looked at him, I thought, wow, this is a this is a really a cool guy, just as a school. Guy. And it's, there's no doubt that whatever I had, and I have to say, we, we, we lived with foster parents. You know, we, we didn't live with our own parents. So we had a, I'd say we had a reasonably tricky upbringing, my brother and I. And there was certainly never any money around to do anything like today's kids do karting and things like this. Mm-hmm. But time mm-hmm. I was ever on a kid's scooter, just a push scooter or a kid's pedal go-kart, what I do remember is I remember whatever I was on, trying to make it go faster and faster and faster, and I can still remember having some absolutely spectacular crashes trying to take corners too quickly in, um, you know, on a kid's scooter or a kid's go-kart or something. I mean, I mean, substantial crashes. I can remember rolling the go-kart at the local park oh, where we lived, but, you know, t- trying to take a corner. I just build up to it and take it faster and faster and faster until in the end I lost control. And um, so they, I think it was a you know, combination of uh, a certain world streak. I reckon I had a, the, the, the absolute love of the feeling of speed. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I o- always say to my pupils, you know, that speed is a drug, and there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's a drug called speed, amphetamine. It's nicknamed speed, but speed itself is undoubtedly a drug. Um, and and there's there's it's sort of, I don't know how to explain it, but really. It tingles part of your system that nothing else quite hits. And you'll know this yourself. You know the, the feeling. If you love cars, you know the feeling when you're That's sitting – behind the wheel of something potent and, and you put your foot down and that and that rush of acceleration that you get all the, yeah. all the g's you build up cornering it's it's addictive once you've done it once you want to do it again and you want to do it more often and it's a slippery
0: slope i warn you <laughs> and um in terms of, sort of early early growing up i mean you mentioned there you with uh you, you with foster parents um and obviously it was it was a it was a kind of tough upbringing in the sense of you know money wasn't i guess you know flush and, and it was it was it was tough how did that sort of shape you in 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 your in your early years yeah i mean
1: uh it's an interesting one because um i i i was not with my mother for very long at all um and um uh, we were sort of given to a friend of hers who offered to look after my mother was an artist um and and she was west End. she came from trinidad and returned back there actually and she she wasn't really she was a great artist but not really suited to being a mother i think is is, is the truth of it and the lady she left us with did her best for us but also was not particularly stable so I, I would think that from the age of about five honestly i was pretty self-reliant you know i was looking after myself and my brother because we were chopped around we had various different foster parents and you know we I remember um, the woman she left us with decided that she wanted to become a hippie, took us to France. We were living on a beach um, in France and, and literally penniless. We had no, um, no money at the time at all. I can, rem- I can remember as a kid sleeping on the street, literally. So I, I think it was a, a very tough beginning. And, and in terms of how it shaped me, Mark, I think it, it made me, you know, there's always a positive you know, there's always a positive of every situation, no matter how hard it may seem at the time. And I think people sometimes ask me, where does your drive come from? Uh, where's your hunger? Where does your desire come from? And, you know, your commitment. And and probably, you, you know, the, the fact is that people in the racing business probably do have, we try and make it as safe as we can. But the reality is we wouldn't go flying. And I wouldn't have then gone on mm. to fly helicopters. And I wouldn't ride motorcycles, I guess, if I didn't have a high tolerance for what probably most people consider risk. Um, and mm, I think, uh, I think it it would be like, I imagine um, having survived that childhood in a sense, which was pretty reckless along the way and, and quite uh, dangerous. I think our upbringing was pretty dangerous in some respects. I think that probably does shape your approach to risk later life um, and what you consider a risk. Um, and so, I, and, I, and I would also say the determination comes of having had, if you've had absolutely nothing, you've had to create everything. You understand that, that everything in your life has to be created. You don't expect mm. anyone to give you anything. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, I would say that's really, with hindsight, that's really the positive of starting the journey like I started it, I think. Is that self-reliance, um, and, and they understand like the, the whole of going racing with no money, because you know, a perennial problem for racing, as you'll be aware, I'm sure, is, is sponsorship and getting the money together to do it. And by and large, the most of the racers uh, will probably racing on family money or you know, family business yeah. and supporting them in their racing efforts and stuff. But if you're coming from the wrong side of the tracks, effectively, right, you have two choices: you either you either create the the funding to finance it. Go and find us, and, and find partners. Well, you're not going to race. There's no ifs or buts. For me, it was the only mm. way in. You had to break the door mm. down. You couldn't. There was no other way in. It was either that or not <laughs> race. So, I, and the and, and the beginning, definitely,
0: I think, gave me an edge of steel. Um, about but that I persona. think you. Yeah, I mean, your your story is incredible in the sense that, you know, like you just said, right, you know, you weren't, it wasn't like you were able to afford to to get in because there was, there was money lying around. Uh, I mean, for you, having read your story about, I mean, you were doing other stuff to, to get to a place where you could fund that career. Um, That, for those who don't know, just talk us through how you actually went about getting into the space in the first place.
1: Right, it, it was in, incredibly difficult i would say i mean i managed hotels for example at a very young age right it was plenty i started out and I, I went i was an apprentice at jaguar cars briefly for a year very quickly um, realized that a regular job went at age what age would I have been 17 18 something like that it, obviously a regular job was never ever going to fund racing um I mean, not a possibility of it. it is going to be too expensive so at a very young age i managed hotels literally i came out from i started as a waiter head waiter restaurant manager assistant deputy manager and by the time i was about i don't know 21 i was resident general manager of a hotel which is ridiculous i wow. um, way too young um it, i think i was probably a terrible man <laughs> i'm sure the people working for me would have agreed um you know I, I, because i had no I had life skills, but I had no people management skills. Probably some people that I still don't. I don't know, but um, I think I'm a lot uh, better now in that sort of thing. But I had a bonus from managing the hotel, and and not only did I have a bonus from managing the hotel, but I also had the hotel had a lot of suppliers who, when I bought my first racing car, I convinced that they should all be involved in sponsoring it. Um, So, you know, I had a business, had a business mind. So from, from a really early age I knew and, and 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 actually I had half the employees that I employed, like the waiters and common chefs and stuff working as like mechanics for me at the weekends and things. So <laughs> literally when we started, I started with karting, um and then very quickly moved to cars. I mean I did initially I did very little karting because I realized within about ten minutes of going karting, which is where most everybody starts, Lewis Hamilton, Jensen Butts. You know, starting karting. And, it's, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm working karting now. You know, I, I coach with ProTrain. Um, and it's a fantastic thing to do. And actually, I test the kart myself. And so if I've got a race coming up, I'll go out in the kart, even though at my age, it's brutally painful. Um, but when I was doing it first time round, it was really evident to me. I thought, this is a kart. There's nowhere to write a company's name. It was as simple as that. And I thought, you've got to move out of karting into cars really quickly. Because back in those mm-hmm. days, particularly, I needed a mobile billboard to, to plaster with sponsors' names. And, um, and really mm-hmm. from day one, I had sponsors. Like people, only little bits and pieces. And, and, and I was no illusion about sponsorship. It's like I had to work for my sponsorship for the companies. And, that, and that's how I became a presenter, really, because it became evident to me really quickly. I thought, you know, no one's going to give you money to put their name on the side of a racing car, which is going to go whizzing past. You've got to be an ambassador for the company. You've got to be. And even in the early days, I remember taking the car to um, trade shows for the sponsors. Um, and, and I really you've got to give more than you're given. So you've got to over deliver. You know, so, so if a company would chuck in back in those days, it was probably 50 pound and 200 pound or whatever. I made damn sure. I mean, I can remember doing things. You know, one day I should put it in a book probably. But I can remember getting up at 6 a.m. Um, every week to drive to Coventry and Radio in Coventry when I lived when I was based around there. And I would go and record the morning show for nothing. And I would turn yeah. up and, and the journalists loved me doing that, of course, because and I was a pretty good interview and I go and talk about, you know, I do a diary about my racing and talk about the racing and talk about Formula One with him and things like that. And I would do anything. And I do the same with the papers. They ran columns about me back in the day um, just to give value for my sponsors. Because then when I went to see a potential sponsor, I had inches and inches of column space and, I had back in those days, it would have been cassette tapes and the sponsors love that stuff, you know, because they could see that I was trying really hard to make sure that for their investment in me, I was getting out and working for them. And it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I when, mm-hmm. I when I when I'm sponsored by companies, I'm still sponsored by companies. Um And when I'm when I'm sponsored, I make damn certain that I work hard at the social media side of it. I, you know, I host shows and events and stuff. I make videos and things like that. To give value for money, because yeah. because you know if someone's going to be involved with me, it's got to work for them. I've got to work for them. So so I always knew from day mm. one that if I if I was to go racing without any money, it would have to be done in a manner where I offered real value for people who were partners of me.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm sure that you've had ups and downs in your in your in your career, and I think um, I think a lot of people kind of struggle with the with the fear of failing um with the fear of being judged with the fear of you know what will parents say what will friends say what will people say if i try, if i mess up right um what's your approach um i guess uh, i mean well when you're first starting out was the fear of failure there and, and how did you overcome that and how do you view failure now if, if that's what makes yeah, sense really
1: Do you know it's a really interesting thing um people would say to me sometimes is I had colossal, I mean, if you did, uh, if you went on my website, you would see, if you go to the gallery page on my website, you would see there's some colossal accidents I had. I mean, I had the, the accident I had at Snetterton got the bridge moved literally, you know, as a result of my accident, they deemed the bridge was too close to the track. I'm talking about a bridge that lorries could go, over, and they moved the whole damn thing. Um, But, but the, the point I was going to make about it was people would say to me, you know, about the racing, are are you not frightened of, of the racing? And actually the, the truth is mo i was way more scared of not doing well than i ever was of crashing and still am actually really? so a hundred percent yeah so consequently um if i say i started a race on second on the grid and i dropped back to fourth at the end i w- I, I would absolutely find that unbearable i would actually prefer crashing out while trying to take the lead rather than losing a couple of places because I I could not face my mechanics and my team if I went backwards in all eight. Um mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily the sanest and that doesn't win championships necessarily either with that, that head approach, but that was my approach. So I I yeah I'm much i I'm much more feared been overtaken than I fear crashing. That's the that's, truth of it. Like yeah, wow. it's 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 really unbearable feeling not to deliver to me you know I was, and so and that that was my my greatest fear, I think, and that, that you're absolutely right that fear does um that stops people from doing so many things I think the fear of failure without a shadow of a doubt. I don't think it really stopped me doing anything um but it probably it probably did um cause me to have some pretty big anxious to tangle with people on the track because I could not bear to To go backwards or to not go forwards in the race, you know,
0: it's hard. It's really hard, isn't it? I can imagine. I mean, you know, um, you know how how do you muster up, you know, the the courage and the and the determination to, I suppose, you know, get past those situations where you've perhaps not performed as well as you do to then get back into the car again and, and keep going. Like ha, ha, what, what, what goes through your mind, you know, cause I guess it's so easy to kind of say, you know what, I failed or I've not performed. I give up now. You know, what, what is it that kind of made you to get back in the car over and over again?
1: Um, absolute commitment to, I think
0: to what
1: I was trying to achieve always like, I can remember situations, I can remember crashing at Brands Hatch once in the Vento VL6 championship race, televised one, and even as the car was thudding into the barrier and coming out, as I sprang out of the car, I can remember jumping onto the tyres, being lifted out by the marshals, lifted back, and running through a checklist and adding up how much all the were that I would need to have the car ready for testing on the next Wednesday. Oh, so, oh my yeah, that's God. how it was. Oh it was like, it's, um, there, there's definitely an element of addiction and addictive personality, which is, is not necessarily healthy, but there is an element of that about racing because for years, like I was that focused on it for, I mean, for the 17 years of what I would call my first time around career. Um, and that was that was massively a um, dri- driving force for me. So, so there was the hunger to, to achieve, the desire to achieve, and the feeling I think that I was good enough. You know, it, it, I could make a breakthrough, and I and I could do this thing. And 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 I often think as well that it's very hard to win, right? Because you need the best equipment, and you need to sustain and keep money going. The problem is, if you ever, for any driver, if they never ever run near the front, it probably at some point it gets easier to stop. It's almost harder mm-hmm. if you win races, and when you're in the right car, you find that you can run at the front because then that that you've had an insight. Does that make sense? You, you you've had a, a fragment. You have tasted it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've tasted it. Exactly right. You've tasted it, and you know you know that you've got to do it getting into the position to repeat that time and time again, the right team, the right car and the right situation. And, and that's what you see even in Grand Prix, of course, that you see drivers who are hacking around in cars that are not even remotely capable of being up front, but there's that massive drive that keeps them giving it like George Russell. There's a driver, for example, who absolutely and unequivocally has got what it takes to, to win in Formula One. And he's driving around in a Williams year after year. Um, but still absolutely wringing the neck out of the car, which is what you have to do. So, yeah, from, from my point of view, it was, um, and I think I, I think that philosophy serves serves me well, has served me well in life, too, because I'm absolutely sure that anything, I genuinely believe that anything I put my mind to, whether it be learning to fly a helicopter, playing guitar, whatever I put my mind to, I believe that I can do, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything uh, I mean, that I cannot do. Uh, it might and, I think, time I think and it might be,
0: yeah.
1: you know, it might not be the best. It might not be the best guitar playing or best helicopter flying. But fundamentally, I, I think I can do anything that
0: I put my mind to. And that's phenomenal because I think, um, I think, I think, one of the things I want to kind of come come back to is not not come back to, but just just ask you is you know, racing is an incredibly competitive sport, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure you've, you've obviously experienced, um, and it requires a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking, a sheer amount of determination. I mean, I think I w- I've watched the, um, the, the the Netflix series on, on Formula One, which was just a real kind of insight into these guys' heads and, and the amount of effort and pressure there is behind the scenes that we don't ever see because all we ever see is just the cars, where, you know, running on the track. Um and I suppose with that comes many things that you've I guess applied to your own life outside of racing. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah t- t- totally. Um
1: I think it if you've lived as a racer, this is my feeling, um it it can make you be quite extreme in in your outer life, in in the other life, so to people. Like for example, you know i'm still even at my age um really focused on training running the gym uh, kind of to an outsider i would say obsessive but to anyone else who's who's a racer has been in the racing game not obsessive probably at all because we probably all like it uh, in the reality but and it and it, it gives you a different approach mate to life in general i would say and i think i don't know i think it's like I'm sure that it was the same vibe that Spitfire pilots would have had probably during the war or something, which is that, not yeah. that I'm saying for a second that, you know, what we do is either as worthwhile or as dangerous as what they did for sure. But nevertheless, there's that element, you know, I've lost friends in this business and you know, you can get hurt and you know, it's dangerous to raise cars. And it's, it's kind of a rarefied atmosphere. And I really identify probably with the kind of people who do those kind of things. Does that make sense? So it's like, there's, mm. mm-hmm. I'm, I'm attracted to that, I think. Um, and I get it and it's, it, it's, it's sort of an obsessive kind of a, a focused way of living, if you will. You know, we, we, we That's are not really constrained. I'm not, I'm not really constrained by normal time schedules, you know, and, and for like mm. for 10 years, I didn't watch any television by choice. And people thought that was odd, but I have plenty of other things I wanted to do. Um, you know, and, and it's like, it, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like having lived this life in racing, we don't know about things taking forever. You know, I can, I can remember doing some very good shows. I can remember, um, Philip's flat screen, for example, flew me to mm-hmm. Shanghai to talk about to a business conference about what business could learn from formula one so i wrote because i did some keynote presentations and things and you know the the speed in formula one i think this is what we love about our sport is that we don't have time to go and have committees and meetings and bullshit like that (laughs) you need a new part for your car tomorrow Mm -hmm. then we're going to charter a plane and we're going to fly we're going to make it tonight in the factory to see if it'll work and then we're Mm going to fly it there to the track and the mechanics are going to work all night if necessary to put the part on and it's that it's that approach uh in the world of racing that um even if you take some of that across into regular life it can be quite powerful because i don't really the kind of work i do i never really think about nine to five. It, it never occurs to me. Um, we don't mm-hmm. work like that. And we work until the job's finished and we do as much as yeah. we need to do. And, and, but I don't think anything unusual of it because I suppose part, the other thing, is suppose I love what I do most. So for the most part, yeah. if you're loving what you do. Um, the difficulty is, I think, often with relationships, like partners find that really difficult because um, you know we like racing so much that, and, and not just racing, but all the other stuff, the automotive stuff. That we could be gone, you know, I could be out of the country before um, COVID and all that sort of stuff. You know, I could be out of the country three months of a year out on tour yeah, in Europe mm-hmm. or in the US or something, um, launching cars and on one thing and another. And it's not unusual in our business that we'll be working to 10 30, 11 o'clock at night and not realize we've done it, getting ready for the next day's yeah. gig. We're not, we're not sort of, we don't go to normal time.
0: Bad for relationships, yeah. Very bad can imagine I can imagine I mean and I mean I was going to just ask that actually I think I think a a big part of of that is loving what you do I mean I suppose you don't keep it on the time because you love what you do every single day every single hour um you know um how how important has it been for you to be in a place where you you love what you do every single day and um I suppose what would be your advice for people who are not but they're not loving what they do every single day. And, you know, what, what can they do to perhaps understand or explore what it is that they would like to do? Well, first thing is to have the courage to,
1: to, to pursue it, right? Because I think I was really lucky from a young age, maybe because of my upbringing, maybe because I went racing and I saw people killed. But it was really evident to me from a young age that we don't get very long first time around on this planet whatever your beliefs are thereafter. But the reality is time is really limited. And it always felt really, um, really short to me. And and I didn't want to waste a scrap of it. And I also happen to believe that we're put here to serve others, to serve the planet, to look after people, to be nice to people and, you know, and all those things, but equally to um, fulfill ourselves, you know, as individuals as well. And And by doing that, we can help more people. And inspire people. I think probably and and stuff. So yeah, it was like really important to me to do things that I'm passionate and interested in. And, and and it wasn't a coincidence because I didn't have any help starting out. Really, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had help from loads of people who sponsored me an opportunity. That sounds wrong. So what I mean is, I didn't have any um, particular uh, advantage at the start, like schooling or anything. I like you know I had schooling, but only up to sixteen um so i think it's really important for people to explore what things move them you know because most of us have something that really moves us and we, we can feel it yeah. and we, we feel passion yeah. we don't have to fake it we feel it and then whether it's music yeah. whatever it is right and then gravitate in, in that direction because yeah don't get me wrong i mean you know a lot of Motorsport is like 99% hard graft and then 1% excitement. But for the most part, by and large, I've been so lucky, mate, because I've been able to work in arenas that, that just fascinate me, you know, and, and, and I just love it and I love the buzz of it and the vibe of it and continue to. I mean, and it's that that's a real privilege. I'm really grateful for that to have had the opportunity. And so many people have created that. For me. Um, and, I, and I just think that to do otherwise is frankly a waste of time. I know it sounds harsh. I always remember, you know, one of, one of my favorite bands, you know, I'm massively into music and I grew up a little bit in Coventry and so I love the specials. And I went to see them when they reformed and they always um, start their gigs playing um, or finish their gigs playing, enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. And I always thought the message in that song is, is mm-hmm. uh, pretty much definitive, isn't it? Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. And it's just a reminder constantly that, you know, th- these days that we get given are precious and not to waste them. And as you get older, like I'm an old timer now and, and having the opportunity, you know, I do a few races, I think, later this year and coming back to it. It's phenomenal. And, and I can almost enjoy it more now with the benefit you know it's it's slightly less intense uh, you don't get me wrong once i've got the helmet on and i'm behind the wheel i'm absolutely in that frame of mind when go as quick as i can but i'm not trying to be a world champion or a professional touring car driver anymore right? and and so you know when i sat in the porsche like i you know i've done one comeback race um since i came back out of retirement and i sat in the porsche probably like 15 years oh no, actually that's wrong i did i've done a couple i did um a guest drive in the Walter Hayes in the Formula Ford, which was even nice. Is wow. even better in 2017. And I hadn't raced a Formula Ford for 30 years, and it's like to be wow. um, invited to race one coming out of retirement. I just sat there and I thought, this is awesome. And I think first time around, <laughs> I probably didn't take the time to enjoy that as much. Does that make sense? I was like, I was so yeah, hell bent yeah. first time around on getting into Formula One. I guess at the time, I having a career in racing and all these things, and there was so much pressure. Um, first time around and I didn't. And it, when I was younger, it felt like time would never run out. And now I know it's going to run out, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like, mm-hmm. now it's like, wow, just I enjoy, enjoyed every single minute of being back in the car. I'm going to race the Porsche. It's like, hell, man, I'm back. You know, how cool is this? I never expected it. Like second time around.
0: So, um, yeah. It's it's amazing. I think I think you, you touched on a really key point there um, about enjoying the process, enjoying the moment. Um, which perhaps you look back and you think maybe you weren't. You, I suppose you weren't cherishing it as you as you are now. Definitely. Um, Definitely. How important is that for you? I mean, and and you know, because you're right. You know, you you end up so focused on getting the goal that you 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 forget about the importance of time and the importance that time will run out at some point. So therefore cherish every single moment. Um, was that, you know,
1: that's the biggest, that's the biggest wisdom. If I've gained any wisdom over the years, that's the biggest wisdom that I've gained is exactly what you just said, right? Is to just to honor the day and the day's divinity literally because, and and, and now I do it. Do you understand me? So when I didn't always, right, because I was like, you know, it's like it was like a tunnel of light when I was young, because. But here's here's the um, dichotomy of it is that I wouldn't have probably done everything I've done with no money had I not had that approach, of absolutely mm-hmm. going, you know, one hundred and ten percent. But the the unfortunate thing about that is it probably cost me my first marriage. You know, I I, I really loved no, I love both of my wives. Been married twice, love them both, still love them, but. I loved my first wife and it, and it didn't hold together because I was so obsessed and focused. And I don't think um, as I was traveling the world, I might have had moments of enlightenment, but I, by and large, not to the degree. Now, you know, uh, I, I adore what I do now. And a couple of years ago, for example, um, I was lucky enough to be chosen and asked to go and present the Barbados Festival of Speed. Um, with Jensen button. I button it was 2017 they have a massive motorsporting event but massive by barbados standards and i remember thinking i was there and i thought this is the coolest thing you know i'm here in barbados <laughs> presenting you know the premier motorsporting event and i enjoy these days i enjoy every single minute of it, if that makes sense like in in about uh we uh, what day is it fifth of june so we're about like i don't know three weeks time i'm presenting the um sorry three weeks time i reckon yeah i'm presenting the ferrari festival uh the uk ferrari festival oh. at cywell aerodrome and every ferrari oh. whatever there was will be there and there's all kinds of events there spitfire flights and there's all kinds of good stuff going on and all the ferrari owners uh, converge there and these days i take nothing for granted you know, from the minute of the day, I'm bumping into old friends because mm-hmm. I know everybody in motorsport anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's all these beautiful cars there, and there's all these people there are absolutely passionate about their cars with fantastic stories to tell. Loads of you know, celebrity guests wandering around, but mostly people with a shared passion, I guess. And and when I go and do those gigs now, and I, um, I, I just, I just love it. And, I, and I'm not sure. I always loved it, but I didn't take the time. Does that make sense? I didn't take mm. the time to really soak it up. Uh, and now, yeah. and now it's like, now these are, when I look back, sometimes when we put together my new website, which we did over Christmas, that was a massive eye opener because what I realized when I dug out all the pictures, the, the guy who built my site is um, phenomenally good and a friend of mine. And, and he was like, right, go in because I want as many pictures you've got and we'll put a gallery together of all the racing you ever did. And, and, literally i mean it's scary in a way i was finding pictures of cars that i'd raced and tested and i had no recollection anymore i can't even remember wow. being in them. now i've had some bad shunts yeah. so it's possible i've lost a little bit of um memory along the way literally um but when i look at them now i think did i drive that and it's the same with the aviation more recent you know and started flying in 98 um so it's 22 years of flying many helicopters but when I look at some of the film with the footage of that now, I look at it and I think that's so cool. You know, it's like,
0: yeah. and I
1: look at it and, yeah. and I can I can enjoy it second time round. But I, I wish, in some ways, I'm sure I enjoyed it a lot at the time, but not as much as I do now. I don't think. I think now yeah, now there's true. much more gratitude.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's so true. I think I think it's so easy to get caught up in that kind of you know um you do you do forget often to you cherish the moment um one things I want to kind of just um, pick up on is obviously um, pivoting and you know you spent many years racing um you know you've obviously done presenting you've done training um how how easy has it been for you to transition into other spaces and you know um what what would be your tips for you know people who are kind of seeking that kind of slight pivot because i mean you've seen done it quite quite seamlessly but i suppose you made it look quite easy but um talk us through your kind of experience of, of of making that change
1: yeah i you know i i always picked well the first thing is always pivot into an arena that you want to be pivoting into because that's what i always did so all of the things i did even though like i went i went uh i became a presenter to support racing because it was part of what my sponsors needed me to do and, I, and mm-hmm. I wanted to work in racing schools to gain experience and track time and all the rest of it. So I, I kind of tutored myself to be um, a presenter, I suppose, and develop those skills. But I think if you have a passion for it, Mike, if you have a passion for it, you yeah. just eat it up. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it isn't hard, man, if you've got a passion for it. Like I adore music, like and, and anything to do with music. I played guitar, sang with a band for a while, badly, but it was still great fun. Um, and, and so, you know, if I, if I'm hanging out with people who really can play, if I'm in the the music space, I love it. And when, when I, when I thought I was retiring full-time from racing, um, I wanted to I was going to be a commercial pilot. So I went off to learn to fly helicopters and stuff. And oh, I no. just, I just absorbed it because I so, I was so interested in it anyway. If I hadn't been a race driver, I mean, I, I went for air crew selection, so I nearly became a pilot that like was either pilot or race drive when I started out, I, you know, top gun yeah. um, or that's what, what, what I wanted to do. Um, so when the time came to start learning about helicopters, for example, uh, and everything to do with flying, I just, I just absorbed it by osmosis. And, and I would think if it's hard to absorb thinking about it, like, say you say, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to become I I don't know. Let's say for me, it would be accountant, right? Cause I, loathe it. I can't even bear to you know enter my <laughs> receipts in the van. None of it. I'm hopeless <laughs> at it. I'm really, you know, just so so if I it would be like saying okay I'm gonna become an accountant because it pays well and then I'm gonna do my exams and all I would be I'd be miserable because it wouldn't be a passion. Does that make sense? Whereas whereas it's like Absolutely. if it if it's something like for example, I'm massively keen before my time is out, right? I've never learned to sail Right? And, and I'm, I'm really interested in sailing. Never learned to. I've crewed a couple of times. It's just like a deckhand, you know, with the captain whipping me to try and get me to work on it. But before my time's out, I'm going to learn to sail. I'm going to learn how the wind works, which is also a bit related to flying. So all the flying I've done and stuff. But you know, that's not going to be hard. Do you understand what I mean? It's not hard to learn yeah. that stuff because because um, it fascinates me and it it, it really inspires me. So that's not hard if you love it it isn't like work and and you you kind of absorb it so when I pivoted, I pivoted in areas where for the most part um where I was fascinated, but also I think I'm fascinated by all kinds of things, so like for example, you know fuzz right fuzz jamal so yeah, when, yeah when I, and I know fuzz for a long time, and I consider him a really close, very dear friend and he's he's been very good to me but I can't help but being interested when I go in there. I'm fascinated by dentistry. <laughs> so it's probably mm. more, probably more than him. But but because I'm I'm around these creative, intelligent people, does that make sense? You know, like if I'm around people who are passionate about what they do and good at it, then they get yeah. me interested in it. They get me inspired by it. So yeah, I love watches I, love, I adore Swiss watches, like watches and everything to do with like. I don't know why, like the mechanics of watches. And we have a fantastic Julian strap called Bragnalls. And when I go in there, they have shows sometimes, and they'll have a watchmaker in there. And actually, when I was presenting the uh, Goodwood Festival of Speed for Mercedes once, opposite us was Hoyer, the watch manufacturer. And they, they did a really clever thing. They had a guy stripping a chronograph, and they had, like, big TV screens around him, so you could see him taking all the cogs and wheels. And every single coffee break right. I had, I would head straight over there. It was only, like, 20 meters away. And every coffee break I spent, that I get, I would be watching him, the next part of his build, because it's that. That to me is just like, do, do you know what I mean? Aviation's like yeah. anything to do yeah. with aviation is like that too, to me. So, and I find I find, I'm lucky because I have the kind of brain that absorbs the basics really quickly. Much harder yeah. as I get older to get the detail done. Unfortunately, like that, you know that, but. But the basics of it, if I go out, like when I'm, when I'm doing shows, I'm not just doing them in the automotive industry. In fact, I enjoy very much moving out of them. I'm about to do a show for a lift company and famously I did some with personal communications and things. So if you give me, um, if you give me any product and a couple of days with the company, I pick it up for a day with the company. By the end of the day, I've usually got a pretty good idea of what the business is, the USPs, and I get it really quick. I've always had that kind of brain that does that. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. again, I think I think it might yeah. go back to my early, early years because when you're five years old and you don't really have um, responsible parents, you have to think really fast. As a five-year-old, you're developing much faster a set of skills to keep you safe. You know, is this situation safe? Is this person safe? You know, and and, and so... Those skills translate as you get older into being able to assess situations for people, I think, very quickly. And and by the way, I was going to say one of the things we haven't talked about, and one of my favorite things is my present to win course, right? Because I, I adore doing that course, like my present to win, because I get, you know, typically I'd have 12 people in the room and I would help them with a subject that most people in my experience find the hardest thing in the world, which is to stand up and make presentations in front of people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I love that because I love unlocking what their barriers are because I've had to do it for myself, I guess, originally but also releasing them from it. So if you said to me, what gives me enormous pleasure is taking somebody and giving them a voice through my Present to win and really of all the things that I've done in my life, one of the things I would say I'm proudest of, proud isn't perhaps the right word, but I'm I'm, I'm the happiest that I've done, is when people, I've got testimonials from people who've done the course, who say it's unlocked. You know, I've got people who've gone up to their boss and demanded the pay rise and the the increased position they should have had years before. Or I've got people who've stood up at PTA meetings and after years of not having a voice have been able to express themselves and and i see the power that that gives people when when they develop a voice and the confidence and courage so to be able to do that kind of work as well you know the presentation skills i consider that that is really privileged to be able to work with people and unlock them i love doing that adding power to people and and watching them develop and, and having courage
0: absolutely i think i think often i think i think we forget that you know um you know being so focused on money, or trying to focus on what you want, as opposed to giving back and being of service and actually trying to help other people. I mean, I think I heard this quote a few weeks ago. I think this by Fuzz, actually. You know, your your income is in reliant upon how happy you can make them. If you can make enough people happy, if you can be of service to as many people as possible, the money. But often we rush straight towards just doing the short term which can often actually not be great, I guess, for,
1: for. Yeah. And do you know, do you know what? It's, it's really, this is a really hard thing to do, but uh, also the universe provides, right? So if you do what you're supposed to be doing and you do it well, and you do it with dignity and you do it with enthusiasm and passion, the universe will look after you. And it, it actually may not even be, in terms of money. And and the bizarre thing is, this is a crazy thing to say, and it's an easy thing to say, but I suppose, but actually the money is not, I would say targeting the money is a really bad thing to do. Right? And everyone does it. And it's a a terrible mistake Mm -hmm. because if you targeted the money, if I targeted the money, I never would have gone racing or flying. You wouldn't do those Mm -hmm. things. And I wouldn't spend any time playing guitar with the band because it didn't earn anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't be pursuing all the things I'm fascinated by, because by and large, they don't, they're they not about earning money. It's not about earning money, actually. Of course, don't get me wrong, you know, you, you need money to survive. But last year, the, the government shut down everything to do with everything I did. And then the, the chancellor decided, because I'm a small limited company director, he wasn't going to support me at all. And, and last year, I can remember contacting uh, fruit-picking farms, because we literally had, my partner was furloughed and then made redundant. Um, we literally had zero income. You know, we, we've we downsized in a, in a year. We've moved, we downsized. I've sold all my toys. Anything that I had, that I didn't absolutely need for the business really gone. Lots of stuff that I'd accumulated gone. Um, but I'm in a better place now. Actually, a year later, not not maybe on the balance sheet, but in life, I'm in a better place than I've ever been and moses in it's like yeah. mate i've judged, just don't i don't it just takes care of itself if you if you know all you all you need to focus on is staying healthy and positive right because if your health uh, declines like in a serious way all the money in the world is not going to really sort you anyway but the money is not actually it's not the money's never been to do with happiness it's not it's never realized any happiness it's about Absolutely. that's another thing that's a really good lesson i think as well for me anyway it's like there are things i mean money is really useful to do certain things you really want to do i can't pretend i i want to fly a spitfire before my time's out you know i did my tail dragger so that i could go up in a spitfire at some point and you need a few grand to do that experience so somehow or other, i'm gonna have to do that at some point um but by and large if you pursue you know i haven't flown anything for, for a year and a half since the government shut everything down no money to fly currently at all mm-hmm. but i have an instinct that i'll find a way back to flying again
0: yeah,
1: yeah somehow yeah. the universe it's meant to happen i'll just keep working hard and and keep focused and keep doing what i do and trying to improve myself and pushing myself um, and and trying to do a quality job for the people that i work with and empower people and be positive um and then i think the other stuff
0: opportunities come absolutely that absolutely sense? i think uh absolutely i think i think um you you have to believe that the universe is working in your favor and i think you know um you know whatever you believe about it you know um whether you believe the world is working against you or for you you know you you you're, you're probably right and you know um you have to kind of believe that the world is a good place. Um, you know, that if you, if you work hard, if you help people, if you're off service, um, things will work in your favor. Just, Most, just it it a, yeah.
1: hey, look around you. It's a beautiful planet. You know, you'd have to be insane not to think that really. I mean, I've been lucky to travel quite a bit with work and stuff and see some wonderful things. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, I was in Rwanda working a couple of years ago and I just loved it. And then, you know, being in the West Indies and, and be being across Europe. And I was in Croatia for the first time working in twenty nineteen. I'd never been to Croatia. Stunning. You know, so and as in it's a fantastic planet. And also when you stop thinking about it, right? You don't have to have these days. You didn't have to have today. The universe let you have today, whatever your religious belief is, but you were you were gifted today. Uh, and then, you know, so on that on that basis, it's a bit ridiculous to spend too much time burning up with anger about the fact you don't have a Maserati or, you know, whatever Absolutely. whatever it is Absolutely. that your your heart's desires, it's, it just doesn't make sense. I can't. Yeah. I didn't. I don't. I don't think I always had such a good perspective as I have now. If I have a good perspective, you know, it's only in recent years, probably the last ten or fifteen years. I'm sure when I was younger, you know, I was pretty. Um, I, there was a time when I was pretty angry that I couldn't go to Formula One because I had such a passion to do that and a desire, and I really believed if I tried hard enough, focused hard enough. And I think I think probably for quite a while, I would have looked at it, and if I'd have talked to you twenty or thirty years ago, I would have said I'm really pissed off with myself because I didn't make it to Formula One. Therefore, I didn't try hard enough, and that may or may not be true that I didn't, you know, put enough commitment. But I think with the benefit of age, I can now start to look back on it and think actually, you know, from where you started, mm-hmm. actually, with your yeah. with the cards that you were dealt, you did all right, and then. And it was only in recent years that I've been able to be a bit more gentle with myself, which I'd say is another, yeah. another real tip that people should do. It's like, I, I, I was pretty hard with myself, you know, boot camp for myself when I was younger. Like I was pretty unrelenting. I never really gave myself an ounce of credit for anything I did. I, I would say that's true. I was very, um, very negative about myself when I was younger in terms of nothing I ever did was good enough. Um, Mm. now my partner thinks nothing I ever do is good but <laughs> that's a different story <laughs> but but, um, but but I think with the benefit of age and now I look back and I think you know what? when I look at the pictures now I think you know what? actually from where you came from how did the hell did you manage to ever sit in one of those you know it's like and I look at it yeah. now and it's like but I, I, I would say to yeah I would say that as advice if I could give my younger self some advice I would say don't beat yourself up quite so much about, you know, if you if you don't hit every target you set, don't beat, yeah. don't beat yourself up. Celebrate, you know, celebrate the stuff that you've done and the wins that you had and the things that you've done and the things you've achieved. Because I think actually that would have been good for relationships, but it would have been good for me at the time as well. I, I think I would have been more powerful if I'd have had that approach to it. And
0: I don't think I did much no i think i mean i think i i think perspective is so key i mean i um my 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 uncle passed away recently and uh, you know i was just thinking about every every single breath that we are that we take is a blessing and i think it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks i had this i was just sitting on the sofa yeah. just literally minding my business it hit me like oh my god every single breath every single moment that i can breathe is amazing um yep. and i think i think yeah. it's, it's it's so so true about you know taking the moment to just appreciate everything in your life um well, that that that's, that's your that's your
1: uncle that's your uncle's gift to you do you see that that's the intelligence yeah. of your uncle passing Absolutely. that's his gift to you Absolutely. and it's your it's Absolutely. your job to, it's your job to receive and interpret that because that was the same for me there were pivotal moments like that where I don't know, a a switch flick for me. And and that's what I think happens to a lot of people, actually, that a switch um, flicks. And then the beauty of the switch flicking is actually you can't go back. Once you you put Mm -hmm. perspective shit, Mm -hmm. once you know something, you can't unknow it again. And that's a gift to do that. And the thing I've realized is some people never get that gift. They go to the grave still chasing something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or, Or... Bent out of shape about something or unhappy about something because they haven't learned that they don't know they've got a switch because for whatever yeah. reason. And so it's, it's a great gift that
0: that you start thinking about it because Absolutely. you won't waste so much time. Time's exactly, preciously. exactly, exactly, exactly. I want to. Uh, I want to just quickly. I'm just quite of time, and um, it's amazing how time's flown. Um, Steve, um, I'm, I'm always keen to to bring out the practical things that, that, that people do and you know, that the people that have achieved so much success, the people that have, you know, been through so much and achieved so much. What is, what are the practical things that you do on a, on a, on, on a day by day, a week by week basis that helps you kind of stay on top, you know, be focused, but also be thankful and be grateful. Practically, what things do you do that you would perhaps advise other people to do? Okay.
1: Um, uh and some of this i've learned in later life right spoil yourself with some little luxuries every day like i like quality coffee uh, you know i adore mm-hmm. quality coffee and cappuccino and i don't mess around you know i'm, I'm gonna have really uh, good quality coffee you have gotta have treats throughout your day yeah take fitness seriously mo nobody does we're one of the most obese nations in europe probably second most obese now to italy i study this kind of stuff right take that seriously to give yourself the best chance you know uh, for me the criminality in the government over this past year one of the things has been the fact that the wealth world health uh, organization said at the time when it was 2.5 million covid deaths 2.3 of the 2.5 were clinically obese but you never heard wow. in the briefings you never heard the government wow. because it's an un- it's an unpalatable thing for people to hear you didn't hear health uh, wow. you heard it you heard them banging on about all kinds of, you know, hands, face, face nonsense, right? But they never said, because it's difficult for them to say it and the public don't want to hear it, they never said, right, you guys, your chances of surviving are massively improved if you really intend to your your physical fitness and lose some weight. They never said it. So things I do every day, right, I am uh, still really keen on physical fitness and training. And, And by the way, not just for the body, for the mind. Right. It's so important. Yeah. You know, I'm out running and gymming and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think I think that's very important as well. I think in terms of on a daily basis, trying to see things from other people's uh, other people's point of view and perspective. So I try and flip things. So I try and take a position mm-hmm. I've had and look at it from another person's point of view. And I often and I often do this. And I, I was talking to Fuzz about this. I'll, I'll say, OK, especially if I'm really um, uh I really believe I'm right about something because time has taught me that I might not be. So I've got to, you know, it's good to have the conviction, you know, courage of your own convictions, but equally it's good. If someone's telling you something, just try and see it from their point of view, even when Mm -hmm. it's really difficult. In fact, probably the more difficult it is, the more uncomfortable it is, the more you should do it. Yeah, it's a great, Mm -hmm. it's a great discipline. So I, you know, I say to myself, okay, all my life, I've thought this color was black, but what if this color was actually white? How would how would mm-hmm. the world look from that point of view? So I would say that on a daily basis, uh, what you're doing is fact-checking yourself to make sure the positions you're taking on things are in fact correct and serving you and serving other people properly. Didn't always do that, and I think that's that, that's probably in you know, a gained that, that's gained me quite a bit of wisdom from from that alone is to trying to see it from other people's perspective, and also. My partner said this when I was rewriting present to win, so, you know, the intelligence Mo, is out there. If you care to to hear it, it's out there all over the place to be, to be garnered. But most of the time we're too focused and, you know, we're all blinkered and we're not taking it in. And I said to my partner, I was writing stuff last year. I was adding to my present to win course to take in zoom because I did quite a bit of worldwide zoom training last year and things yeah. like that. So I added how to present well on zoom and all these kinds of bits and pieces. And, um, one of my old uh, sponsors and guys that I used to work for, I was talking to him about it too. And they both said the same thing. They said, do a section on listening. And that was a real wake up call for me. Cause I looked through my, like, I've got like mm-hmm. a 50 slide deck for my presenter, room, which is normally delivered over two days. I looked at it. And I thought, I wonder how many slides I've got that talk about listening. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, a ra- yeah. it's a round, a round number, not slides.
0: <laughs> do,
1: you, do you know what I mean? It's like, and it's like, but how awesome that i've been teaching present to win for 20 plus years and i've been presenting shows now for 25 years or something like that and i've done it worldwide and i've done thousands of shows right so i wrote my course based on everything i would learned about what i do because i wanted to give everything all my secrets away in the course literally because that's the beauty of getting to the age i'm at now which is where you have a degree of confidence so I let people like are oh, you are not going to hold anything back hell no now i want to make you Better than me. That's when I, if you're my pupil, I want you to be better than I ever was. And and at a younger age too, that, because that gave me enormous pleasure, right? Before I go, I can pass the baton on to you. You could be the man. But, but the fact that there's still, do you get me? There's still things like that. Like I'd missed a whole chunk which should have been in the course. And I only really got that by, by instead of just going ahead, typing pages and creating new content and stuff, I thought, okay instead of me just telling everybody else or you know how i see it let's ask other people it's really an yeah, interesting yeah. A really interesting thing to go listen you know what should be in there? and they both said they were talking about the importance of listening and i thought yeah
0: i'm not as good at that I think, so i think you know, um, so, i think it's is so crucial isn't it i mean you know it's uh, you know retaking that chance kind of stepping into into someone's shoes and re-understanding how they how they view the world Um, because you're right, you know, we, 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 we take positions, we make decisions every single day. Um, and I suppose, I think far too often we don't really think about the, the way that other people are actually viewing, uh, what we're saying. And I think it's so, so important. Um,
1: And, and and we're also, we're also in a society as well. I think where, um, we also, a lot of the social media thing is very toxic. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we look back on this with the benefit of hindsight, this period of life, I think that stuff like the, the Facebooks of the world, I mean, some of it is phenomenal. There's no question that it does a fantastic job connecting people. And last year I was training people in Guatemala and Chile. You know, I've never in Japan, you know, because of Zoom. And I loved it because, yeah. you know, I'm meeting people. Fortunately, they all speak English, which is always very embarrassing for us English speaking trainers because we don't speak any japanese or guatemalese or whatever but but the point point of it is i also see um i see the crass negativity in so much of what's Mm -hmm. happened in in this last year and you know uh, and i think it's so important that as soon as we can we get back in the room with people and and the idea that we should live a virtual life is the end of our species. If if that's if that's what the future is, if really yeah. is the future, and I, and I, and actually I know it isn't in my art, I know it isn't. But if it was, then I know. Don't get me wrong. Fantastic to be able to do things like this as as, as eloquently as we can. It's brilliant. And you know, I was thinking the other day, like even stuff like seeing a doctor. And, and funny enough, one of the companies I bought a printer in the week, and first time ever, like I was going on the customer line, and there was somebody I was speaking to like this, and I thought this is genius. I can talk to somebody. Face-to-face. That's where it's brilliant. But the bullshit side of it, the um, illusion that companies like Facebook Mm -hmm. create and the manipulation and and, um, the fact that everybody forgets that we're only seeing the top fraction of a percent of people's lives, the bit they want to show us. Mm -hmm. And so what tends to happen is people get completely bent out of shape about their own life based on this stylized, ridiculous um, little fragment of that they see from an influencer. And we're not that bright as a population. To, for the most part, people don't work that out. Um, and there, there's a lot of money involved backing it to make sure that people don't work it out. And at some point, someone needs to people need to see that the emperor has no clothes on and understand that, you know, the likes of Facebook are actually incredibly manipulative and toxic and destructive i think a lot of the time so whilst they can be brilliant we also as a society need to recognize i I particularly worry about the kids because especially like i'm teaching communication skills and a year and a half of being glued to a screen being told you can't go near anyone smile at them i mean what if you think about it mo what could be worse for communication than a full smile. I mean, has it ever it's been all- anything worse than, for actually communicating between two humans? And this, it's it's, it's awful. It's absolutely- agreed, agreed. And it's like we, mean- we need to recognise that and understand that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's. Um, I think you know people forget that so much of what we're trying to say comes through what we're showing, and and you can't see what people are can't see people's facial expressions when there's masks mask on. You, you can't have that kind of communication. It's, it's massively hindered you've got a mask on your face. It's, uh, uh, it's, Mo, it's, have, um,
1: you, have you heard of Morabian um, Mer- Circle? Have you ever heard of that?
0: No. So, no. so
1: when I do my present to Winkles, this is like, uh, it's the standard metric, if you will. This guy, Dr. Morabian, right, computed that communication believe it or not, is 55%. This is one of the slides on my course. I'm giving you a a present to win, a microscopic chunk of present to win, but it's such an important part because, and it's used by Harvard Business School and the British Army and and all the, everybody, all the professional bodies use this metric. Communication breakdown is 55% visual, 38% tonality, tonality. And only 7% of communication is reckoned to be content. And the bit that we all focus wow. on is the content. But actually, yeah. if you think about the mask and not being close to people, straight away you take out half, you know, of yeah. communication. It's, <laughs> it's gone. So con- consequently, you know, we got the situation where. Can you see what massive potential for miscommunication there is between not just individuals, but nations when we're in that situation, when we lose lose the art of communication in that manner? You know, it's dire. Absolutely. And that's why I look around you. That's why we have so many, you know, fragmenting societies, I think, um, and, and, and nations, you know, which should be instead of getting closer bonded and working closer together. So I just think it's really important that we don't think, I mean, and the irony of this is one of my jobs, is, as you probably read last year, was I was a uh, coach and mentor to a twice world esports Formula One driver who drive, mm-hmm. uh, drove then for Mercedes AMG, Petronas, now drives a Ferrari. So, I mean, that, it couldn't be more virtual than driving a simulator. And it, this guy mm-hmm. is racing like whatever 22 other guys who are all sitting in team workshops all around the world and connecting via the internet and racing. So, Almost, I feel there's there's a real irony in that that that's what I got paid to do, and it's it's actually incredibly exciting when you're involved in it. But equally, still critically important that we don't end up being a species that experiences the world just virtually, because the very best of it is organic. It's when you're out there touching it, smelling it, doing it and doing it. It always is, and it always will be. And and our, and it's really important that we get the country opened up again for our young people because we've just stolen really a year and a half of that off them in so many ways.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I think I think there was a the, uh, yeah, it's it's true. I mean, I think I think I think young kids. I think there was a report out a few weeks ago now about you know the um, the stagnation of kid of kids social skills and, and have us probably gone backwards as a result of the pandemic and you know hopefully we'll will we'll get back to to, to to some level of normality soon. Um, well, that that's Steve. why I'm
1: gonna that's why I'm gonna push the present to win thing a lot actually and one of the things we're doing is we're talking with schools about going and doing it and master for schools for that reason because yeah. it's my job, just like it's your job, it's whatever whatever skills we have, such as they are, it's, it's our job. That's what we should do. Is go if we feel strongly about it and we do, we should find a way that we can actually help. And the way I can help without a doubt is taking the communication school skills course into schools and education so that it can help to turn it around.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah. these, these, these are life skills that aren't taught in schools, and, and, and that's that. I you mean, know, we won't go into it now, but one of my biggest frustrations with the schooling system is that, you know. Um, you're 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 taught how to get grades, but you're not taught how to necessarily navigate the world above and I think there's so many things that I suppose you pick up as a result of living life um yeah. in your case you know following your passion, following your dreams, you know having determination and grit is is so important but that stuff isn't 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 taught in schools so or communication as well you know how to communicate well it's 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 so sad and i'm I'm hoping that you know the schooling system. You know will 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 start to take this stuff seriously um, because 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 I believe it's really important. Um, I guess uh, finally, Steve. Uh, I'd like I ask everyone, uh, where can people find you?
1: Okay, so uh, my www That's uh, that's the website. Out uh, of all my contact details and bits and pieces and um, and. You know, over YouTube, I guess I've got a YouTube channel. I'm not not really very professional about putting all that sort of stuff together, so you'll find all kinds of stuff in there. So I just dump it in there. I'm not, like I said at the beginning, bizarrely, none of this stuff is monetized um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, which probably reflects accurately (laughs) on my (laughs) character. I'm just pursuing the stuff that I love, much to like, um, you know, fuzz and yeah uh chagrin that, you know, I don't, I'm not very businesslike. I'm very businesslike when I'm working for people, but I'm not really, I guess I'm not focused on, um, but the, the boys tell me and they're quite right. And if I did it in a more businesslike manner, I'll reach more people and I can help more people. And so I have to do that. And so uh, currently with present to win, for example, we are filming I've got a studio in Burnley where I'm going to film present to win and put it online, which I've never done before. So instead of just training 12 people at a time in a room, I'm going to be making it accessible to people who couldn't get to see me or can't, you know, live too far away or whatever. So we're going to be up. We're going to be upgrading it, and 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 also out uh, on the racetrack again this year as well. You know, I've, uh, I'm i going to be fantastic. I'm going to be racing a classic 911 later in the year. It's nearly finished. It's been in build for three or four years. I drive for a team at Vista Heritage called Classic Performance Engineering which is probably the best classic racing team in the business. I drive for them and I also work for them, creating social media content content for them, making up films and bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be around and about and doing my stuff. And 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 I mean this is given that, you know, it's behind the wheels is the name of the podcast. Now, we we've talked about lots of things other than cars, of course, but a lot of the ah, stuff no. we do. I mean I'm also at the moment I've been filming training for Nissan. Um, so a lot of the Nissan dealerships, they're forced to watch mm. me, the poor devils, because I, I you know, I arrived on <laughs> their computer launching new models and talking about, um, techniques. Cause one of my roles in 2019, I was a Nissan GTR trainer for the UK. And you probably, if you like cars, you'll know what a GTR is. Uh, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, um, that, I launched that car back in 2007 and made a television program about it called GT Academy mm-hmm. and, and Reunited it with last, you know, it was its last year, unfortunately, it's coming to its end of its run. But um, yeah, working, working with the brands, I love working with the manufacturers. I'll be doing more road tests on motorcycles as well. I, um, I do the road tests for a, an, a dealer group, so all the online blog and road tests. Um, and, uh, and coming to a racetrack near you soon, as always. Fun as long food. as uh, you know, the Lord gives me uh, more days to play with
0: absolutely absolutely no honestly I, I i meant it when i said it before you know um never in my and uh, i think about ever having someone like yourself to 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 it you're too yeah.
1: kind you're too kind it's very kind but um it's a bit of pleasure yeah, to, no, uh, no. to be your guest and hopefully, you no, no, thank you very much. we'll <laughs> catch up again perhaps for a future one absolutely thank you very much Steve. Pleasure, Mike. pleasure.